I stood about 50 feet from the spot yesterday. And as I stood there, I was reminded probably 35 years ago, the last time I stood that close to that spot. But on that day, about 35 years ago, my sister and I were, we were fishing by a little pond on my grandfather's, what we called the farm. It's now my mom and dad's home place, some 70 acres, but uh, it has grown up and we've since, we being somebody other than me, has since uh, taken out the pond so that it would drain. But I stood there and, and I remembered the events of that day. Because on that day, by that tree that I was looking at, my sister almost got bit by a water moccasin. And that day, that water moccasin lost its life because he almost bit my sister right there. But before that happened, there was a warning given by that water moccasin. There, there was a warning. It opened its mouth. It was cotton. It was white. It was, it was saying, don't come close because I got something for you if you do. But the thing about it, my sister didn't see the snake. And for a moment, I didn't see the snake. And then, all of a sudden, my dad comes running. He saw the snake. And he was the furthest away from it. We were trying to catch a fish, and we didn't care about the snake until we knew that there was a snake there. But there was a warning given over and over by that snake, and then ultimately the hoe hit the snake, and it was over. You say, why do I tell you that story? I tell you the story because this morning there's a warning given. There was a warning given to a church some 2,000 years ago. The church was the church of Laodicea. The church, the seventh of the seven letters. I told you when we started, as we started this series that I entitled The Expectant Church, what we are to be about, what we are, who we are vision for today and for future days. We started this journey, this series, so to speak, and I told you that there's a descending staircase that these seven churches were a part of. A couple of upticks, yes, but for the most part, seven hard letters. Seven letters given so that this church... Jesus' whole church might not be in the state that they are in. Three truths that I want you to see this morning as we see this letter played out. As you look at the seven churches themselves, we first saw the church at at Ephesus, they were the careless church. We talked about being careless and then being what we wanted to be was careful, not careless. 
Then we saw the church at Smyrna. It was a persecuted church, and it was a, an attribute or a characteristic of the church that was going to happen if that church, if we find ourselves faithful, we too will be persecuted, and we need to understand that. The third church was that of Pergamum. We looked at Pergamum, and we saw that they were a compromising church and that there needed to be something different, not to be compromising, but to be consistent in Thyatira. It gets a little worse and a little worse and a little worse. Thyatira was corrupt and there needed to be some correction that comes about. Then we saw the church at Sardis. Sardis was broken and they were broken in the wrong way, but Jesus wrote to them seeking that they would be broken for him or be his. Last week we saw Philadelphia. Philadelphia, nothing bad was, was spoken about Philadelphia, nor was it spoken about Smyrna, but they were a dependent, a trustworthy church, and there was an opportunity given for them. And this morning we see Laodicea. Laodicea is a foolish church, but there's an invitation, an opportunity even for them to be a faithful church. And might you and I take that opportunity this morning. I'm going to read the verses in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And as I read them, I need for you, for us, to pay attention to a couple of things. Just like all the others, we're going to see the city and we're going to see the church. They're going to be introduced. We're going to see Jesus and how he introduces himself. And then we are going to see the meat of the letter. And as I read the meat of of this letter, the whole body of this letter, just think. Just think if this was written about you. This was your town. This was your church. And you're hearing it. What emotions would, would well up in you? What emotions need to well up in us today? So let me read the verses. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, down through the end of the chapter, reads as following. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the, the faithful and true witness, the, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. He stated that five out of seven of the letters. Five out of seven letters, he lets them understand, I know your works. And there's nothing good in this one. Neither, excuse me, you are neither cold nor hot. Excuse me, Jesus, what, what are you talking about? We'll get there. I wish or would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm... And neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I will literally vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you. To buy from me gold refined by fire, 
so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into the one who conquers. Excuse me. I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I have conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a hard letter. Father, I pray that as it is looked at this morning, Father, that the same desire that you wrote it for some 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago when it was penned, when it was written. Father, that same desire would come forth this morning. Not just that of judgment. There is that in that. I know that, Father. But Father, a sense of encouragement, a sense of, of challenge compelling your church to come back to you. God, may we see that this morning. May this body, may, may we as individuals and as a collective body, may, may this preacher see that this morning, that you desire me to come back to you. And that there's hope. Even when we find ourselves lukewarm. God, would you allow the truth of your word to come forth in clarity in power, Father, with conviction for these this morning, for us this morning. Draw us back to you. You're worthy of our praise, of our worship. You're worthy of our lives. You're worthy for us to, to lay aside all the things of the Gentiles as Peter wrote in his letter. Time enough has sufficed, is time sufficient for those things. God, that we would be sold out, surrendered to you. So, Lord, let us see that this morning. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. First truth about this letter is this that the introduction gives no warning as to what's to come. The introduction of this letter, verse number 14, it gives no warning of the content. There is no, all right, this is about to be bad. But when he writes this and he says this for the first time in that statement, verse number 14, there is no warning whatsoever as to what is to come. Let me read that verse for us again. Verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. In that introduction, there's no warning as to what is about to be unleashed. But what is in that warning? What is in that introduction? 
Here's what's in that introduction. We see the city. It's written to Laodicea. Laodicea was in the Lycus Valley. It's kind of in the same, in a similar region to what uh, you find in northeast Tennessee or out in southeast Washington. There is a, a region, the, the, the three cities or the tri-cities in both of those areas of the country. They're known for that. And that's what this was known for. There were three cities all within 10 miles of each other. All distinct cities, all had some differences, and Laodicea was the pearl, so to speak, of these tri-cities. But there were a couple of things, just geography speaking, geographical, that Laodicea didn't have, but they tried their best to have, and it comes out in this letter we'll see in just a second. But let me tell you about the city and what it's known for. Laodicea in all of Asia Minor, was known for banking. They were a rich city. They held the largest sum of money in Asia Minor of the day. Everybody came to Laodicea for money. They were known for it. The whole region, they were known for it. Jesus knew it. But that's not all they were known for. They were known for two more things. For whatever reason, the Lycus Valley and Laodicea had profited greatly from it, but the the Lycus Valley helped to produce a certain type of sheep. It was was a gorgeous black sheep, and and the wool from that sheep was in such high demand, and they profited greatly from it. Everybody wanted Laodicean wool. It's kind of like today, everybody wants Patagonia, North Face. They want that uh, alligator, it's Lacoste. I mean, they they were the the top of the top. I don't even know how to pronounce it. They were the top of the top. That's what the garments were that they had and that they made. And everybody wanted them. And they were known for it. But just as much for their banking and just as much for their garments... Laodicea found themselves as a medicinal center because right there on the side of that river where they were was something that helped them formulate an eye salve and they were known throughout the whole of the world for this eye salve that helped give sight. People came in droves for that. They were a banking center. They were a garment manufacturer. And they were a medicinal center, especially for that of eyes. And Jesus writes to them a letter And as he introduces himself, as he has done for all the previous six, he says, here is who I am. I am the amen, one attribute. I am the faithful witness, two attributes. I am the true witness, three attributes. And the fourth, as he closes out this introduction, he says, I am the beginning of God's creation. So let's look at those very quickly. I am the amen. What does that mean? He says, I have 
this. It is, it is amen in Hebrew. It is amen in Greek. It is amen in Turkish. It is amen in English. What does that mean? It means this. I am the authority. I am the final dot of the exclamation point. It is verily, verily, truly, truly. It is true. There is no mistake or hint of wrong, corruption, misstep in this. Everything that I say comes to fruition. I'm the amen. And here's what I've written for you, Laodicea. Here's what I've written for you, River Bend. Here's what I've written for you, Brian. Here's what I've written for you. For you. Amen. Period. End of sentence. End of point. And then he says, I'm the faithful witness, and I'm the true witness. Reminds me of John chapter 14. You see on the screen verses 10 and 11 of John chapter 14, he states this in the gospel. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I I, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. I am faithful, and I am true. The, the, the reason that I came, Laodicea, the reason that I came, Riverbend, is to go to the cross. I went to the cross, and as I went to the cross, I stated at the very end of it, it is finished. I'm faithful. You sent me for a reason, God, the Father, and I came, and I did exactly what you asked me to do. And then he states, I'm the beginning of God's creation. Now, some might look at that and see that word beginning and say, ah, there he is. He was created. God started creation with him. Well, if that's the case, then something else is wrong. Something else is wrong. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20 state that, All things were created through him and by him and for him. John chapter 1 states a very similar statement. So either Jesus was created or Jesus created all these things. But one of the things is wrong. And if one thing is wrong, then multiple things are wrong. Then the whole book is wrong. So what's Jesus and John trying to get across to the folks at Laodicea? That he is the preeminent He is first place in everything that has been created. Everything that has begun, Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is above. Jesus is first in all things. And Jesus needed His church, especially this church at Laodicea, to understand who He was and where He needed to be because they had forgotten. May you and I not forget it as well. The introduction gives no warning as to what's coming. But the second truth, we get into what's coming. The words are alarming. and They're alarming for one reason, and that is to bring about change. The words are alarming in this letter, and they are alarming in such a way 
for one purpose, for the folks at Laodicea and for the folks at River Bend, for the folks 2,000 years ago and the folks if he tarries 2,000 years from now, that they would wake up and they would see him as he is to be. For most of the week, I had a different uh, sentence for that statement. For most of the week, I had this sentence, Jesus broke your mama's rule. That's, that's what I had. Because you know what your mom said. I, my mom said it like over and over and over again. If you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say anything at all. Jesus didn't adhere to that rule in this letter. Jesus doesn't have anything nice to say to the folks at Laodicea for how they have been working and all the things that they've been doing. He had zero nice things to say, but he had a lot to say to them. And he says, hey, Laodicea, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you're not, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. That's not very nice to say. The year was 1995. I had been in the ministry all of about six months. I had uh, been in, in college learning about God's Word for less than that. And I knew everything then. And uh, we had uh, taken, we, I, I had taken a group of about 40 youth to Mississippi Coliseum in Jackson, Mississippi. And we did a D now that weekend and uh, we topped it off with youth night. And at the end of it, I wish I could go back and change time. And why am I saying this? I got stuff to say. At the end of it, they said, hey, does anybody have anything to say? There's 1,500, there's like 2, 000, almost 2,000 youth in the Coliseum, along with all the leaders. They said, has anybody got anything to say? I said, sure, I'll say something. And so I took my Bible up on stage, and I read these words. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot, but because you're not, you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. What Jesus is saying, here's what I said, what Jesus is saying, he wishes you were hot for him or cold against him, but you're not, you're lukewarm, and he doesn't have anything or any reason for you, so therefore he's going to throw you up. And I handed the mic to somebody else. I mean, that's what it says, right? Well, if I would have done a little more studying, and if I would have been a little less prideful, about four years later, I was sitting in chapel service in Southeastern Seminary, and the president of the seminary was writing a commentary on Revelation, and so therefore he thought that it would be great for us to study the book of Revelation as he wrote the commentary for it. And therefore, every Thursday for the whole year in seminary, he preached from Revelation. And he got to this passage and he said, let me tell you an interesting fact 
about the geography of Laodicea so that these people would understand and know exactly what Jesus was saying and what you can understand what Jesus was trying to say. Because you see right there in the Lycus Valley, there are those three cities. There is Laodicea. This is what the letter, this is, these are the people that the letter is written to. Then about five miles up on the side of a cliff, if you were to look at it from Laodicea, you would think that it was snow-capped, these mountains. But it, they're, they're not snow-capped. They're just minerals. And up on the top of these mountains, up on the top of this hill, is a city called Hierapolis. And it is known for hot, soothing baths. And people from Laodicea who had all the money would trek up there and get in the baths. And then just to their east, down the valley, there was about an eight-mile trek, and it was known as Colossae. We have the letter to the Colossians. Paul wrote it. They're not known for hot springs. They're not known for money. They're not known for ice salve. They're not known for black wool. They're known for cold springs. And these folks at Laodicea got tired of trekking down to Colossae and trekking up to Hierapolis. And they said, hey, we got all the money in the world. Why don't we just build some aqueducts? And so they built five miles of aqueducts from Hierapolis down to them and eight miles from Colossae to them. And guess what happened? The hot water got down the mountain and it became lukewarm. It was no longer hot. And the cold water from Colossae that was cold right out of the earth, it got hot. And the folks at Laodicea knew exactly what Jesus was saying. The purpose of the hot springs was to bring soothing and refreshment and health. And the cold springs from Colossae, they were, that drink of that water was crisp and cold and it was to bring refreshment in its own way. But you, church, you've lost your purpose. You're not hot like the hot springs. You're not cold like the cold springs. You've lost your purpose. And because of that, you make me sick. I wish I'd have said that that night on that stage but I didn't but Jesus says to this church I know your works River Bend may we not be foolish to think that we can hide our works any better than they thought that they could hide their works don't think that Jesus doesn't know your works Don't think that Jesus doesn't know our works as a church, that he doesn't know your works as an individual. He knows exactly where you stand with him. He knows exactly every nanosecond that you and I have been in existence, everything that has occurred, every thought, every word, every action that has happened and has not happened in your life. He stands in front of you and he stands in front of me and says, I know your works. You can't hide that. I can't hide that. When he looks at you, when he looks at you, when when he looks at me, does he say, I know your works? They're greater than they were at the first. When he looks at you, He looks at me and says, I know your works, Brian. You've left your first love. Yeah, you got some great stuff that is happening, but you've totally forgotten me. 
And when he looks at us, does he say what he said to the folks at Laodicea? Oh, you foolish Laodiceans. Look what he says. You can read it right there in your copy of God's Word. I'm going to read it out loud. He says this. You're neither hot nor cold. Because of that, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, Laodiceans, you say, I am rich. You say, I have prospered. You say, I need nothing. But Jesus says, uh, um, sir, ma'am, hey, church at Laodicea, you're not rich. You're not prosperous. You are in so much need. Look what he says. He says, you are wretched. You are pitiable. You are poor. You are blind. You are naked. It is as if he has taken this hand, his right hand, and he has slapped them upside the face. What are they known for? They're known as a banking center. He says, you're poor. You got nothing. What are they known for? They're known for black wool being clothed in garments. And he says, you're naked. What are they known for? They're known for curing eyesight. And he says to this church, you're blind. You can't even see. The words are alarming. And the reason they are so alarming because, is because Jesus desires for change to come about. Jesus counsels this church to buy from him gold refined by fire so that they may no longer, so that they may no longer be poor and financially broke spiritually so that you may be rich and I counsel you to buy from me white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and I counsel you to buy from me salve to anoint your eyes so that you might see is that his counsel to you today Church, is that his counsel to you today? Is this counsel to you to wake up? Previous letter. Is this counsel to you today? Hey, I know your works. You're nowhere close to where you think you are. You're like 180 degrees away from where you think you are. You are in so much desperate need of me. And you don't even see it, sir. Ma'am, you don't even see it. River Bend, we don't even see it. We think everything is fine, but we are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Is that what he's, is that what he's saying? The third and final truth is for every single one of us this morning. And it is this, a final invitation is given to you, students, 
A final invitation is given to you, sir. A final invitation is given to you, ma'am. A final invitation is given to us as a church to show what could be. And even more than that, to show what should be in us, for us. I counsel you to do all these things. And what might not be to you, but what is definitely to me the harshest statement of all seven letters is found as he is trying to close out this letter. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. We'll get there in just a second. But verse 20, behold, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Brian, that's not harsh, isn't it? Brian, that's not a tough statement. Yeah, it is. Whose church is it? It's his church. He died for the church. He shed his blood for the church. He died so that the folks in Laodicea might have eternal life. He died so that the folks in Hernando this morning might have eternal life. It is his church, and he's on the outside of the church, knocking, trying to get in. They've thrown him out of the church. It's his church. And they are going about every single week and they are going about every single day just as if everything is okay and he is outside of the church. If anybody hears me, I will come into him and I'll eat and I'll fellowship with him and he can do the same with me. The one who conquers, the one who continues, the one who remains steadfast, the one who comes back to me, surrenders his life to me afresh, anew, repents of sin. That one, I let him sit on the throne with me. I did everything my father wanted me to do, so therefore he's allowed me to sit on his throne with him. And I allow you to sit on the throne with me to rule and reign in splendor, just as I will. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, as I started, I asked in prayer, I asked, Lord, let, let the content of this come out in such a way that how you desired the folks at Laodicea to hear it, that there is some encouragement. It is not just judgment. There is some of that. And you and I need to adhere to that. We need to be woken up if that is the issue. And I believe that some days that is the issue. But we also need to hear the words There's an opportunity for you. There's an invitation for you, sir. There is a a spot right now for you to stop 
doing all those things just like the folks at Laodicea were doing. Thinking that everything was okay when you know everything is not okay. Thinking that everything is fine and dandy when you find yourself poor, naked, wretched, pitiable, and blind. If that's where you are, there's hope. There's hope only in one place. There's hope only in one person. River Bend, please understand this. At 11.03, February the 19th, 2017, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to you, church, He's saying to you, you have a purpose. You have a purpose. You have a purpose. Your purpose is not to exceed in this life. Financially means nothing. Financially means nothing. Your purpose, sir, your purpose, Brian Tillman, your purpose, church, is to be hot or cold for him. Your purpose isn't to find as many leisure activities as you possibly can. Your purpose isn't to find that I can work 90 hours a week just so I can make it by. Your purpose is not to see how many folks and how many places and all these things. And it is so easy. Easy. It's not your purpose. Not your purpose. Your purpose. is to be salt and light in this world. Because if not, we will find ourselves just like Laodicea, hearing a hard warning from the one that we say we love, from the one that we say we have bowed the knee to, that we have confessed our mouth, that He is Lord. But he says, there's an invitation for you today. So be zealous. Have passion. Have passion for me to understand this is my purpose. And change what you and I do on Mondays and Tuesdays and Saturdays and Sundays. He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. Be zealous. Those that I love, I'm going to reprove and I'm going to discipline. Does it hurt? You better believe it. I hate going to the woodshed. But it's some of the greatest times because it brings me back to Him. And it brings you back to Him. And Maybe it's a moment of a woodshed that you need. That you need. That you need. That I need. Whatever it is, hear what he says. The invitation is there for change, for good, for love, forever. He who has an ear, let him hear. Father, we come.
God, you have spoken numerous times and in numerous ways. Numerous times. Numerous ways. From whispers to statements to shouts. Father, to to what we call today acts of God. You have spoken into our lives. Father, may we be zealous. May we be zealous, not not for the things of of this world, not for a a team, for an activity, not for for a, a job that will be here today and 15 years from now, it'll be gone, non-existent. Father, may we be zealous for you. Lord, I I am reminded of what your son wrote, what he stated in in the Gospels. Don't fear the one who who can kill you. But Father, may we fear you, the one who can not just kill us, but the judge, the one that I'm going to stand in front of. Lord, I'm going to stand in front of you, and you you know everything. God, may I be fearful of you. Even though I might not see you at this moment, may I be fearful of you. May we be fearful of you. Father, everybody in this room, everybody in this room, Lord, we're sinners saved by grace, those that that know you. But Father, every single one of us need to be on our knees in front of your throne this morning. Every single one of us need to be running back to you, heeding this letter. God, may that happen. May that happen. May that occur this morning. May that continue to occur. Father, would you... Give us that invitation to reprove with discipline so that we might be zealous, that we might repent, and we might come to you. I don't know how often I say it, but there's nothing special about this altar, but this altar is always open. Maybe you need to come and kneel right here. Maybe you need to stay exactly where you are in your seat. But no matter where you are, Physically, during this invitation, you need to spend some time with Him. You need to get right with Him. The invitation is there for you, sir, ma'am. It is for us. We need to get right with Him. Father, would you move in this time? I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.